Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm your host, Mila Atmos. Each week, I speak with citizen changemakers who spark civic engagement in our society. Our guest today is David Fleischer. He's the director of the Los Angeles LGBT Center's Leadership Lab and author of The Prop 8 Report, a comprehensive evaluation of the pivotal 2008 campaign in California. Prior to founding the lab, he created and ran the premier political training programs in the LGBT community and has been involved in political organizing in a wide range of cities and states for 37 years. When I thought about this season on Post-Truth, I wanted to know about how our media and information stream became polluted and how truth decay is hurting our democracy. I also wanted to know what it was really going to take to bring us back to a shared objective reality. Deep canvassing is a way to bridge our epistemic divide of what's true and what's not, and it might be the answer that we have long sought to unify our nation. In the realm of opinion, nothing can change. But in the realm of real lived experience, everything can change because it turns out people believe their own real lived experience more than they believe their opinions. We talk about countering our post-truth era by changing minds, sharing stories of the people we love, and reducing prejudice. Dave will teach us how to deep canvas today, and we hope that you'll try it yourself. Let's listen in. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mila. Glad to be here. So you developed deep canvassing to decrease prejudice in a long-lasting way. What exactly is deep canvassing, and how does it differ from traditional canvassing? It's how do we connect with people who are not just the same as us. And the key part of that is our taking the time to really listen to them without judgment, approaching them with kindness, and then sharing our story with them and asking for their story. And it's that exchange of narratives that makes it really easy to find common ground, even with people where we don't think at first that'll be possible. How do you get ready to be able to be compassionate and to be a good listener without judgment? What's involved in the training? Let's say if I were a newbie and I volunteer with your organization, how long would it take for me to train before I would have the courage to go out there and canvas in person? Well, that's easy to answer. The groups we're currently working with in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, what they and we do is invite you to come to two pieces of training. Part one is a story workshop where you really get comfortable telling a true story from your own life where you're vulnerable and you're talking about a person you love and why you love them. It's highly participatory in small groups of five or so, so that everybody really gets to uh, practice doing each piece of this multiple times. Then on the day that we're all going to either get on the phone or when it is safe and legal, go door to door talking with voters or on the phone talking with people for a couple of those hours, 
And then we all reconvene to debrief and talk about how it went so we can get better each time and we can really hear the range of experiences people are having. When you first started this, what was your immediate takeaway? You know, you go to people's doors and you share your personal story and you try and bridge this divide that you may have with the other person with that story. What did you discover that you just didn't expect? Oh, geez, Mila. We didn't know anything. (laughs) I I mean, when we started out, we uh, didn't really know what was going on with these people who disagreed with us. The genesis of deep canvassing is that uh, in 2008, there was a statewide vote in California on same-sex marriage called Prop 8. All the polling showed that the LGBT community, right, of which I'm a part, I'm a gay guy, it seemed very clear from the polling that the LGBT side and our allies were going to prevail. When uh, Prop 8 passed and we were defeated and marriage was banned in California for gay and lesbian couples, I can't even communicate to you how shocked and hurt people were. What we thought we knew wasn't right, or it was inaccurate enough that we needed to go back and better understand really what was on the minds of the people who voted against us. So in the beginning, we really didn't know that sharing our story was going to be important. And especially, we didn't know that eliciting the voter's story was going to be so important What we ended up discovering by trial and error is that we got a lot further doing this. And when you say doing this, you mean listening? (laughs) Yeah, listening and not just listening. Maybe you've had this experience where listening means you're patiently putting up with whatever the other person is saying, but you're really already thinking ahead to what you want to say next. But that's not really listening, that's waiting. And really listening is being in the moment and not worried about what you're going to say next, because what you're going to say next is going to be determined by what the voter says. You're going to be genuinely curious and want to follow up what they're telling you and go deeper than the very first thing they offer. Yeah, that's uh, really profound, in fact, to be present and not think about your retort to whatever the other person may have said. What is the sweet spot of a successful communication where you were able to break through and get the other person to see your perspective and maybe even change their mind and become less prejudiced? Well, I know you're really interested in how do we operate at this moment in our society where facts and truth are so contested. If you really want to have people reconsider or change anything they're bringing to politics, we do need to listen to the opinions that people offer right at the beginning of the conversation. And really, they have a lot to share. First thing I would ask you after I've introduced myself is I would say if President Trump was here with us right now 
and you had two minutes with him, what do you want to tell him? So then I'm going to listen. And after I've really listened to your opinion, what I really want to do is say, you know, voting, it's political, but it's also personal. I think about the people I love. And then I would tell them about one person I love and a moment in my life that I remember that really gives an example of why I love that person. Not a moment where I'm a hero, just a small moment from my experience loving somebody and them loving me. Then when I ask, what about you? Uh, Who's somebody you love? The nice thing about this kind of an exchange is they're not going to tell me a story about Donald Trump. They don't know Donald Trump. They're going to tell me a story about their dad or their mom or their son or their daughter who has had this profound impact on their life. We can both discover a lot of common ground because it turns out almost everybody loves somebody and has experienced being loved by somebody, and it's been one of the best things in their life. So all of a sudden, we have a lot in common when it comes to how we see the world and what we really care about and how we treat other people. Yeah, how we treat other people. This is so important. I think this is what gets lost so much in our current public discourse. I have a question about what you would like to debunk when it comes to having a constructive communication about politics. What is it that people are commonly assuming about communication? And it turns out it's not actually true. One assumption is that a bunch of people are irredeemable and impossible. And if you decide to write off a large swath of the American population before you've even checked in with them individually, you literally miss millions of opportunities to get more people on our side. Boy, that's the biggest mistake of all. But the next runner up would be thinking that all we have to do is tell these voters that they're wrong in a very nice way, perhaps. But essentially, all these voters need is us to tell them how to correct their point of view so it matches ours, and we'll be fine. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, Mila, but very few people over the age of two are really delighted to uh, have somebody uh, correct them before they've even gotten to know them. That is well put. As an everyday citizen, how could I learn to be a deep canvasser and execute this in my daily life? Give me some homework. How would we do this? What I'd really do is ask you to first think about what kind of change do you want to help advance? Uh, I'll tell you the kind of change we're working on at the moment is we're really interested in reaching out to infrequent voters. How do we persuade infrequent voters to become chronic voters? And you wouldn't have to pick that same thing. But then the very practical homework is, uh, 
I would say get out your phone, scroll through your contacts, start to think about, oh, is this person someone I want to reach out to? So if I was going through my phone, let's say I see the name of my sister, Amy. She's probably a chronic voter. I don't know for sure, though. So I might decide to call her. But then when I get further down the list and I get to the name of her boyfriend, Ron, I don't know Ron as well as I know my sister, Amy, but it occurs to me that he might have missed elections. I definitely want to talk with him. Think of who is going to be the easiest person for you to talk to. You like them. They like you. There'll be people on your list who are more at the cruel end. It'll be a challenge because whenever you interact with them, they're a challenge. And if you put your list in order from kind to cruel, don't start at the cruel end. Start at the kind end so that you can kind of get the hang of having a conversation with somebody who's not just like you, doesn't make all the same assumptions you do. This week's episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan is a journalist and a podcaster taking in-depth looks at the people and places who make our world fascinating. Much like us here at Future Hindsight, he brings meaningful, fun, life-changing insights with a practical edge to his listeners every episode, every day. He learns how to better talk to strangers with Malcolm Gladwell and how to harness your curiosity for good with Bill Nye. The mission of The Jordan Harbinger Show is to help you become a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a much deeper understanding of how the world works and make sense of what's really happening. You know that that's a mission that I fully support. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find the show at jordanharbinger.com. I have a friend yeah. who told me with a straight face that he does not vote. He is not registered because he doesn't want to serve in jury duty. Okay. I was completely gobsmacked. I really didn't know what to say. Sure. What's his name? His name is Mike. Okay. If Mike did vote, do you feel comfortable that the vote he would cast would feel good to you? Yes. First, what I'd recommend is don't do this alone. Find a buddy, call them up, have them do their homework, promising to a buddy that you're both going to do this makes it more fun, but also helps keep you honest. Yes, that's good. It's good not to feel alone. And also it's good to create this accountability to somebody else because you can also just decide, oh, you know what, I'm going to chicken out and not do it at all. I would say the main preparation before you pick up the phone is I want you to think about somebody you love. My dad died in January, so he's on my mind every day. He really taught me most of what I know about how to treat other people with kindness and respect. Before I call, I'd be thinking about the moments in my life where my dad and I did something 
And the one that occurs to me is uh, when I was 16 and I just got my driver's license and uh, I borrowed my dad's car. It was the nicest car I think our family ever had. It was a Ford Mustang and uh, was driving it by the Dairy Queen, looking over to see who at the Dairy Queen was noticing how cool I looked driving my dad's car. And then I turned my head back to look at the road and heck, the truck in front of me had come to a stop at a red light. So uh, I slammed on the brake except that my foot was on the accelerator. So uh, everybody at the Dairy Queen got to watch me slowly speed up and ram into the back of this truck. I was very cool, calm, and collected. And so I pulled the car up onto the sidewalk. I exchanged information with the other driver. I apologized. I called the police to make the police report. And I went down to the station with the police. And I was just finishing up with them uh, when my dad arrived and was in the back of the police station. So then as I'm leaving, I go up to my dad and he doesn't say anything and we walk outside. Then he hands me the keys to the one other family car and says, uh, David, please drive us home. And the way he said it, right, I remember it as much as what he said, because he had just seen me mess up in a big way. And what was clear was that he still loved me and trusted me and knew that I wasn't just a mess up who was going to always mess up. And so what I would suggest to you is before you call, think about somebody you love and why you love them and a specific moment where you really learn that you could rely on them or they learned they could rely on you or both of you learned that. Any questions about that before we pick up the phone and punch in the number? No, no question, except this is quite a thought process before you call, which is not what I expected. But now I'm ready. Now I have a story in my mind from my own life where I've had a very positive experience with somebody who loves me and somebody that I love back. Yeah, and you can see, by the way, that if I'm thinking about this story, it's one where decency and kindness were extended to me instead of judgment. And so you can appreciate it's easier for me now to get on the phone with anybody who I might be tempted to judge. I'm going to be less judgmental because... I'm thinking of a moment where I was the grateful beneficiary. So you're going to get on the phone and you're going to ask if it's a good time to talk for a little bit that you want to talk about something important. And you'll say, well, I really want to talk with you about the election coming up in November. But I really want to do it in a way where you and I learn from each other and where I really listen to you. Because I don't think you and I have ever had this kind of conversation. So if you don't mind my asking, if President Trump was with us right now and you had two minutes with him, what, what would you want to tell him? I'm really just going to listen. And so the beginning part of the conversation, almost right away, 
is you and me listening. And then your next question might be, wow, well, Mike, on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is you're definitely not going to vote this year, and 10 is you definitely are going to vote, where would you put yourself? And Mike is going to give you some number, could be zero. You're not going to judge it. Instead, you're going to ask him, Mike, why is that the right number for you right now? And you're just going to listen because Mike is going to say to you maybe the exact same thing he said to you before. Mila, voting doesn't matter. I don't want to do jury duty, blah, blah, blah. And uh, you're going to be quiet. You're going to listen. After you've heard him out, rather than argue with his opinions, what you really want to do is say to him, you know, Mike, Voting is political, of course. It's also personal. And so I think about the people I love. And you know who's on my mind today? And then this is where you would tell a story, any story you want, but about somebody you love. And you would take your time telling it. Don't rush. And you'd be very specific, and it's a story with emotional content that really matters to you. And then after you tell your story, you can say, so Mike, what about you? Who's somebody you love? Now, Mike is not really expecting to answer this question today. So you're going to need to give him a little, a moment to think. If we've told a story they start to tell a little bit of a story. Usually they only tell a little bit of it, like the headline, but Mike might say, well, I guess my mom. And you'll say, oh, that's really nice. What's her name? And you'll be asking him, what was a specific moment that you remember about your mom? And as he tells his story, and realizes you're really interested and you're really going to listen. He's going to tell you a beautiful story. Every story about love is a pretty amazing story. After you're sure you've really gotten the whole story out, I think your honest reaction might allow you to say something like this. Mike, I really appreciate hearing about your mom. I realize something, that we're both lucky enough to know what love is and what it means to rely on somebody and have somebody rely on us. And, you know, that seems very important to me because President Trump is the opposite of that. He's not reliable. He'll throw anybody under the bus anytime. He'll be divisive and selfish every time. He sets this example that is the opposite of everything you ever learned from your mom and everything I know. And so I really want to stop Trump. What about you? Do you want to stop Trump? Who knows what he's going to tell you? It might be a surprise to him as well as to you. Maybe he really doesn't want to stop Trump. Maybe he's okay with him. But my hunch is that it had never occurred to him before that voting is a gift he can give to the people he loves. 
And really, that's what it's all about. Voting really is not about the candidates. You're never going to love any of the candidates. I don't know anybody who loves Joe Biden or Donald Trump. They don't know them. <laughs> uh, right. That makes sense. But they do love the people they love. And all of a sudden, the stakes around voting and what kind of world we live in are much clearer. And so Mike is going to give you some kind of answer. And then you're going to say, so Mike, going back to that scale of zero to 10, what's the right number for you now? And it might be the exact same as it was before, or it might be different. And so in the realm of opinion, nothing can change. But in the realm of real lived experience, everything can change because it turns out people believe their own real lived experience more than they believe their opinions. What you've really done is foreground for Mike his real lived experience with somebody he loves. And he may or may not change his mind, but this is where we have the best result in terms of people changing their mind. They're really choosing to change their mind. And so it sticks. And by the way, they're going to remember this conversation because it's so rare that they really get to speak aloud how much they love somebody. That's really the heart of the conversation. That's awesome. Now I want to go out and try it. So here's my last question. Looking into the future, what makes you hopeful? You know, the lucky thing for me is I get to deep canvas every couple weeks and soon it'll be even more frequent. And what's hopeful is that people surprise me. That's how I know I'm deep canvassing is because I'm surprised. People are capable of being their best self or their worst self or anything in between. It's surprising how good people want to be when they really think about the people they love. So that's what gives me hope. I'm so touched by learning how to deep canvas and what makes you hopeful. This has been so amazing. Thank you for being on Future Hindsight. Sure. Thank you, Mila, for being interested in how we're going to get past this moment of terrible division. I hope you're inspired to deep canvas now and invite you to try it yourself. Before you call, go to the futurehindsight.com website for a how-to step-by-step guide. After you've made your calls, please tell us how it went. Leave us a message at 929-262-0752. I want to know if you were able to change someone's mind. Speaking with Dave opened my eyes to what's possible when we communicate with love and compassion. Changing minds really does begin with the heart and paves the way to sharing common ground and an objective reality. Listening to his story during our conversation about his father's kindness in the aftermath of his accident indeed made me feel warm-hearted and free of judgment. Most importantly, 
For the first time ever, I thought about voting as an act of love and a testament of how we treat each other in our society. Next week, our guest is Shoshana Zuboff. She's the Emerita Charles Edward Wilson Professor at Harvard Business School and author of The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, The Fight for a Human Future at the New Frontier of Power. Ultimately, the surveillance capitalists discovered that the most predictive data come from actually intervening in your action and learning how to use all of this knowledge about you to come back to you with triggers and subliminal cues that can tune and herd your behavior in a way that optimizes their predictions. We talk about surveillance capitalism leading to an instrumentarian society, which is a fundamentally undemocratic world where our data is exploited and manipulated for profit by some of the world's biggest companies. Until next time, stay engaged. I'm Mila Atmos. Thank you for listening to Future Hindsight. The executive producer and host of this program is Mila Atmos. The audio producer and music composer is Peter Fedak. The associate producer is Miriam Zumbul. Additional production by Brooke Sayan. Listen to us online at futurehindsight.com or your favorite streaming service. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.